Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. We are starting a brand new series today called The Holy Who. Turn to the person next to you and say, The Holy Who. And my aim throughout this series is to answer some of the misconceptions and questions that you may have about the Holy Spirit, because I believe that he is the most misunderstood and misrepresented member of the Trinity. And I believe that it is the fault of both the charismatic church and the non-charismatic church. I believe that both have misrepresented him or taken the concept of who the Holy Spirit is to uh, extremes. You have some people over here that, you know, there's a devil in every doorknob. And then you have some people over here that are as dry as a popcorn fart. I'm sorry, I, didn't, I, I did not put that in my notes. I didn't put that in my notes, but that's a statement that my dad always says, and it accidentally just slipped out. But you get what I'm saying. There, there are extremes within the church, and my goal through the series is not to share with you my opinion. Because how many of you know my opinion really means nothing? My goal is for us to look at what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit. That's what I want to know. And so my challenge to you is to erase your mind from all the misconceptions that you may have had. And maybe some of you, you know, you've had a lot of training in the area of the Holy Spirit from a book you read or wrote. Forget about it. There's only one book that has the authority on the Holy Spirit, and that is the Bible. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Sometimes we get so caught up in the books we read or the experience of someone else, and we start making that the law and gospel, and sometimes they are leading us way off course. Or we'll we'll get on the YouTube. That's a dangerous place to build your theology, by the way. YouTube is a very dangerous place. So, so we don't want to build our understanding based upon opinion or tradition. We want to build it on what does the Word of God say, and that can be a very challenging place to go. I have been in full-time, ordained, licensed ministry for 20 years. I have preached a lot of sermons. I have read a lot of scriptures. I grew up in the church, so I've heard a lot of preaching. And let me tell you something. When I determined that I was going to read the Bible from front to back, it changed my mind. There are things I thought I knew that I did not know. There are things that we just make up to maybe comfort ourselves, but it's not true. It's not Bible. So let's get down to what does God's Word say about the Holy Spirit. Fair enough? That way, if you disagree with what is being said, it's not on me. It's on, it's between you and Jesus. Take it up with him and you'll lose. So we're going to start in Acts, the first chapter. The book of Acts was written by a physician or a doctor named Luke. He was commissioned by a a man named Theophilus who wanted to know more about who this Jesus person was. So Luke, he does almost like an investigative report. He goes around and he speaks to eyewitnesses and he starts developing all of this stuff that he turns into Theophilus as a letter that we now have as one of our gospels called Luke. Pretty cool, right? If you, get, if you write a book of the Bible, you should name it after yourself too. 
But the book of Acts is a continuation of the book of Luke. See, Luke covered the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. But then in Acts, he continues that thought with Jesus ascending into heaven, and then now what happens here on earth? And so we see the breakout of the church. We see the movement of the apostles and the disciples. So that's where we're at here in Acts, the first chapter, starting in verse 1. He says, in the first book, speaking of the book of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So let's pause right there. This says that what Jesus was telling his apostles was coming through the Holy Spirit. We need to understand that the work that Jesus did here on earth was through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus is God. He has always been God. So let's just clear that up. He, he is not a man who ascended to a higher level of living and has become a God. The Bible teaches us that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Later we find out in 1 John that the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. That's talking about Jesus. So the God who created all things is Jesus. Now he's been born through Mary. He's walking the earth, still God. Say he's still God. But at the same time, he's also fully human, which means he felt what we feel. He dealt with what we deal with. He had the basic needs that we have, like he really did get hungry, he really got thirsty, he really got tired and needed to take a nap, which is one of my favorite things about scripture is seeing that Jesus took naps because that gives me a firm foundation to stand on the word of God when my wife was like, why are you taking a nap? Because Jesus did and I want to be like Jesus. So Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is God, but... When he lived here on earth, he did not choose to live from his divinity. The Bible teaches that he emptied himself, which means he took on the form of a servant to live just like you and I. The son living in right relationship with the father through the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll notice that Jesus did no recorded miracles until his baptism. What happened at his baptism? The Holy Spirit came, rested on his life. Then the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, led him into the wilderness where he was tempted. And then the Bible teaches that he left the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you following what I'm saying? Everything that Jesus did was through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk more about that in future weeks. But now let's pick up verse 3. The Bible says he, speaking of Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is just a side note, but sometimes when we think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we think that he came back to life and disappeared. He didn't. He stayed here on earth for 40 days, walking around, talking, and teaching. There were many proofs of his resurrection. 
Verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That word baptized comes from the original Greek baptizmo, which means to immerse. Now, when we talk about water baptism, we, we kind of understand that because that's what we see happen in that moment. People get into the water, they go under, and they are completely immersed or submerged with water. That's what Jesus is saying is going to happen with you and the Holy Spirit, which is great. Because up until this time, the Holy Spirit only came upon certain people for certain missions. And once that mission was completed, he would lift. But Jesus is saying, there's coming a time, it's coming soon, that the Holy Spirit is going to come and remain. The same way that the Spirit came upon Jesus and remained on him throughout his entire life here on earth after the moment he came upon him is the same for you and I. The Holy Spirit comes and he stays. Somebody say he remains. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. Somebody said power. power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Here's the purpose of the power. To be a witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. To be a witness of who Jesus is in your home in your community, in your county, in your state, the nation, then the world. In other words, start where you are. Some people want a worldwide ministry and they're not ministering to their family. If you feel like you're called into the ministry, it's because you are the one you live in every day. Hello? So let's start there. Jesus is saying you're going to get this power to start where you are. And then when, once you start where you are, it's going to begin to grow. It's going to begin to expand. So you'll be a witness to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. The first thing I want you to notice is the Holy Spirit is a promise from God. Can you tell the person next to you the Holy Spirit is a promise from God. Where do I get that? In Acts, the first chapter, when Jesus says, go and wait for the promise. What's the promise? The Holy Spirit that you're going to be immersed with. But that raises the question, who is this promise for? Is this promise for the apostles? Is this promise for the New Testament church? Is this promise for us today? That's what we need to know because how many of you know I don't want to deal with anything that ain't for me? If I see something in Scripture, I want to make sure that it is mine that belongs to me before I stake my life on it. So who is this promise for? 
we're going to find the answer to this in Acts, the second chapter. This is when the Holy Spirit is finally released on the believers who are hanging out praying. There's 120 of them in an upper room doing what Jesus said, go and wait, which is amazing to me that there were only 120. Because how many of you know there were more that Jesus told to go and wait? Some just weren't willing to wait. We get a little impatient sometimes. But the 120 that did wait, the Bible says that the Spirit of God descended on them and a party broke out. And there was such a commotion that people in the city started gathering around trying to find out what's going on. And Peter comes out and he says, hey, listen, I want you to know this isn't just like any other party. Like, we're not, we're not drunk like you're, you're thinking we're drunk. He says, but this is what the prophet Joel spoke about when he said in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. He's saying this is what you are seeing happen. In the last days, the God is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. That was, that moment, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Some people talk about, a, like, you know, they'll say, Richard, they'll be like, I'm just believing that the spirit of God is going to get poured out. Because in the last days, he's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. You should look at them and say, that's already happened. I'm not waiting on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here right now. Are you following what I'm saying? I'm not waiting for an outpouring. I'm living in the midst of an outpouring of the Spirit. He has now been released, and he is with me. Somebody say, he is with me. So Peter comes out with this new power that he has received from Jesus. He begins to preach to the people, and the Bible says that they were cut to the heart. Do you know who cut them to the heart? Not Peter. Not his persuasive words. It was the Holy Spirit. People started realizing, man, I, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And they say to Peter, what do we need to do to be saved? And here's Peter's response. In Acts, the second chapter, starting in 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, get this, for the promise, who is the promise? The Holy Spirit. For the promise, or you could say for the Holy Spirit, is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. In other words, the Holy Spirit is for every person that confesses Jesus Christ to be their Lord. It's not just for the apostles. It wasn't just for the New Testament church. It is for me today. And people will often say, do you really think you need the Holy Spirit to do this life? And I'm like, man, I need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. Have you ever been there late at night? Like, yes, I need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Next week, we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit actually helps us in a very practical way right here, right now. So turn to your neighbor and say, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, for me. is for me. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Harry Potter, uh, but there's a bad guy in Harry Potter. I'm going to do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Voldemort. <laughs> The reason 
Vicky was like, don't say his name is because that's what they say in the movie. He's the one who, who shall not be named, you know. He's the guy we don't want to talk about. Because if we say his name, he may accidentally show up. And I think that's sometimes how we as human beings treat the Holy Spirit. You know, in church, we talk a lot about God the Father. We talk a lot about God the Son, who is Jesus. But when it comes to God the Holy Spirit, it's like, man, that's the weird uncle. <laughs> that shows up to Christmas and just wrecks everything. Let's, let's just back, back off because if he shows up, things are going to get weird. And some people think that the Holy Spirit is a force that is going to make you weird. And so, like, you may be interested in, like, some of this stuff about the Holy Spirit, and you're like, but I want to keep a little bit of distance because I don't want to just get, you know, weird on everybody. I want you to know something, and this is going to give you peace of mind. The Holy Spirit is not weird. Here's the problem. Studies show that one out of every three people are weird. <laughs> so look to your left. Look to your right. If they seem normal to you, you're the weird one. The Holy Spirit is not weird. People are weird before they meet the Holy Spirit and after they meet the Holy Spirit. Are you following what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit is God, y'all. He is the Spirit of Christ himself. The same Spirit that filled Christ now quickens, the Bible says, our mortal beings. Not to make me weird, but to give me power. Somebody say, he gives me power. So I want, I want to just get rid of that misconception. Just because you've seen weird things happen, don't label that Holy Spirit. Hello? It's possible that they were weird. They were just a little unusual. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so some people, what's, what's crazy about this whole thought process is one of the misconceptions because they think the Holy Spirit's weird and he's going to make me do weird things or he's a force, or an it that just kind of flies out of nowhere and wrecks things, they'll tell you, you got to be careful with the Holy Spirit. you got to be careful with this whole Holy Spirit thing, because you may accidentally be inviting in an evil spirit or a demon. Maybe some of you have heard this talked about in your life, maybe talked about around the table, maybe you've heard some of this kind of stuff in the church, like you got to be careful with the Holy Spirit because you could accidentally invite an evil spirit into your life. But Jesus says in Acts 1 that the Holy Spirit is a promise from God to you. So my question is, how can the Holy Spirit be bad if he's a promise from God? Think about that. Luke says in the 11th chapter, verse 13, if you then who are evil, this is Jesus speaking, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit is a good gift from the Father. The Bible says in the book of James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Somebody say the Holy Spirit is a good gift. He's a gift that we receive from the Father. And Jesus tells his apostles, you need to go and wait. 
before you do anything, before you do any ministry, before you do any evangelism, you need to wait. And now we've got to ask the question, why wait? They knew Jesus. How many of you would agree that the apostles knew Jesus? They hung out with him. They saw the miracles. They heard the sermons. They, they have all the information they need to go and tell someone that Jesus is Lord, but Jesus tells them, don't go do that. First, you need to wait. Why wait? Because I'm sending you a promise. This promise, the Holy Spirit's going to give you power to become the witness. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? So if, you, if there is no spirit in you, then you have no power to accomplish the work of God. It's like a lamp. You could go to the store today, you could buy a lamp, you could get a light bulb, you could have all the components you need, and it is, in fact, a lamp. It has the potential to light up a space. But how many of you know that lamp will do nothing until it's plugged into the wall? That's how we are as individuals. We're human beings. We have potential. But the power we need to become who we have been called to become is through our connection with the Holy Spirit. Somebody say the Holy Spirit is necessary. The Holy Spirit is the one who supercharges the life of the believer. He is the one who transforms people. That's why Jesus said you need to wait. Because if not, you're going to waste your words. Because your words do not cut the heart of an individual. The Holy Spirit does that through your words. It's when the Holy Spirit moves upon what you're saying, the hearts are touched, the hearts are softened. He is the one who convicts the world. The Bible teaches he convicts the world of their sins. In other words, he's the one that convinces us that we're a sinner in need of a savior. The Holy Spirit is the one who points us towards Jesus. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth. What is the truth? The truth is Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is always going to be pointing you towards Jesus and the work Jesus has called you to do. Someone posted on one of my YouTube videos the other day asking the question, how do I know that it's the Holy Spirit and not some other spirit? And that's a valid question, right? How do I know? The, the simple answer is through the fruit that's being produced. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that produces fruit in your life. So the Holy Spirit is never going to take you away from Jesus. He's going to point you towards Jesus. So if somebody comes to me and they says, you know, I've been praying and I feel like the Spirit's really moved and the Spirit's really spoken to me and told me to leave my wife, I can easily say that wasn't the Holy Spirit. If somebody says, you know, I, I just got a holy anger in front of me and he I just feel like God wants me to go just slap that person across the face. I can, I can easily say that's not Jesus, nor the Holy Spirit. It's very simple. We, we, over, we overly complicate all this stuff about the Holy Spirit when it is very simple. He will never operate outside of what he has already said in his word. That's why when you listen to teaching or teachers, make sure they are taking you back to what does God's word say? Because anytime we stop, we start getting away from the word of God, that's when we get flaky. That's when we get weird. 
I, listen, somebody on Facebook the other day, I don't even, you know, it's weird, like, you, you become friends with people on Facebook that you have no idea who they are. Is that, ju- is that just me, or y'all experience that too? And this person on there said, uh, I just did this lecture, I'm putting this in my own words, I just went through this lecture with one of the foremost uh, exorcists in the world. He's like the leading expert on exorcism. And he was explaining to people how demons can't say the name of Jesus. And everybody's on there like, oh, wow, that makes sense, man. And I think immediately my mind went to two passages in Scripture where the demon said, Jesus of Nazareth. (laughs) And then another place with the sons of Sceva where he says, Paul, we know, Jesus, we know, but who are you? We've got to stop building our theology off of our feelings and our experience and start going to the Word of God and saying, what does this say? Because if not, that's when, that's when we get kooky. That's when we get weird. That's when we start thinking that our chair in the auditorium is possessed by a demon and we need to come cast it out. Are, are you following what I'm saying? We laugh, but... But people get really, really strange because they don't have sound doctrine. And if this is stepping on your toes, I apologize. I'm not trying to, like, beat you up today. I'm trying to say maybe just because granddad told me it doesn't mean it's Bible. But so many times we do that. We base our entire theological belief system based upon what somebody told us or an experience they shared with us. And it has no biblical foundation, nor truth to it. So I'm always going to go to the Word of God. Even like when I'm building a sermon and have a thought and it starts going in a certain direction, I always go back and say, okay, I want to check this and bounce this off of the Word of God. I want to make sure that I'm going in the proper direction because I don't want to lead people away from God. I want to lead them to God. I want you to see Jesus through through what is being taught here. Amen? So the Holy Spirit gives me power. Here's how the power operates. He gives me the power to understand the will and mind of God. How many of you understand that you cannot understand God on your own? You cannot understand the Word of God on your own, apart from the Holy Spirit. When things start making sense to you in the Word of God, it's because the Holy Spirit is breathing upon that Word in that moment for you to show you truth because that's what He does. Apart from that, you can be a scholar, and there are a lot of brilliant morons out there. (laughs) Colleges are full of brilliant morons. They know a lot of Scripture, but it's not been breathed on by the Holy Spirit in their life. And so what happens is we start trying to explain things. We start start trying to explain how the children of Israel crossed over the Red Sea. It's because we found this place in the Red Sea that's only a foot deep. And so that's where they would have been able to cross. And we go, oh, man, that makes sense. And to me, I go, well, praise God. That's that's even a bigger miracle than splitting the sea. Well, why? Because he drowned the whole Egyptian army in a foot of water? (laughs) Come on, guys. Let's get real here. Right? So the Holy Spirit gives me the power to understand the will and mind of God. Where do I get that from? 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, verse 12. The Bible says, but as it is written, what know I, this is powerful right here. Get this. 
as it, as, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who loved him, which means there are some amazing things that God has prepared for you that you don't have the capacity to understand. Why is that good news? Because the next verse, verse 10, these things, what things? The things that you can't understand on your own. He says, these things God has revealed to us, how? Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received. Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart uh, this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, meaning the person who operates out of their natural way of thinking, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who, get this, verse 16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, which means I've got the mind, his mind, on the matter, which means I don't have to figure stuff out because I'm connected to the one who knows all things. The omnipresent, omniscient, all-knowing God lives inside of me. And he says that now that he is inside of me, he can show me things that I cannot see on my own. He can speak to me, things I cannot hear on my own. He can implant an imagination inside of me that is bigger than anything I can imagine on my own. He begins to reveal to me God's mind and his will. Not only does he reveal his will, but he empowers us to accomplish it. That's amazing. He doesn't just tell you what God's will is. He's the one that gives you the ability to carry it out. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Are you getting that? He doesn't just show you the will. He gives you the power to accomplish the will. Because how many of you know, on your own, in your flesh, you can do nothing good? Not for God. You cannot do it within your own power or your strength. Try to stop sinning on your own. Try to change your thought patterns on your own. It's very, very difficult. But the Holy Spirit, he can do anything. He can change me. He can transform me. He can give me not only the knowledge of the will of God, but the desire to do it. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Some have twisted that to say, like, well, if I just start loving on Jesus, he'll send me a Corvette. That's not what the Bible says. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. Take pleasure in God. Begin to worship him, and he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, he will plant inside of you the desires you need to do his will. 
So he gives me the desire to love people that I wouldn't have loved otherwise. He gives me the desire to forgive people that I wouldn't have forgiven otherwise. He gives me the desire to wake up on Sunday morning and show up to church where I can be fed with the people of God that I would not have desired to do otherwise. Are you seeing that? He gives me the desires of my heart, and then he empowers me to accomplish, accomplish it. He also gives me the power to go beyond my natural ability. Watch this, Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, Peter and John are in the temple, they're ministering. The, the religious people start going, what's, what's, what's up with this? They notice this boldness that they hadn't seen before. They start hearing things from them that they had not heard before. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Did you get that? Uneducated, common men. How were they able to astonish the people? Through the power of the Spirit. Because the Spirit gives you wisdom beyond your natural understanding. He gives you knowledge beyond your natural understanding. He empowers the gifts that are in your life to accomplish the work of God for your life. Never try to preach the word of God to anyone without the spirit of God. Did you hear what I just said? Because it has, does not have the ability to transform anyone's life. You can give them good instruction, good counsel, but unless the word of God is in you and you've been anointed in that moment, to present what God is saying, you better hold up. Somebody say, hold up. He also gives me the power to know Jesus and to reveal him to the world. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. The Bible says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Do, do you understand what that is saying? If you have confessed Jesus to be the Lord of your life, it is because the Holy Spirit has moved on your heart to do so. You did not make that decision on your own. And some of you may think, well, by God, yes, I did. Not according to Scripture. Okay, so let's go back, let's go back to that. If you want to argue with the Bible, you can argue with the Bible. And there are many, many, many more Scriptures that point to the fact that it is the Holy Spirit doing the work inside of you. You know, we always look at Adam and Eve and we go, I can't believe they ate of that fruit. I would not have done it. Yes, you would have. I would have been double-fisting. <laughs> Why? Because that's our nature apart from Christ Jesus. That is our nature apart from the Holy Spirit. So when we receive Jesus, it's because the Holy Spirit has shined his light on us and he starts revealing to us the truth. He begins to convict us of our sins. He begins to show us our need for the Savior. And then at that moment when we have this new revelation of this need that we have, then we open our mouth and we confess that Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says you cannot do that apart from the Holy Spirit. So what I'm trying to say through this first message is that the, the Holy Spirit that we have made weird and, and, and misrepresented to our world and, and made him like this dangerous, bad you know, thing that you've got to be careful of is very necessary to our salvation. There's nothing weird about him at all. He is God in us. Get this, Jesus, God, enters earth as a man. The Bible calls him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
he starts talking to people. And he starts telling them, the Spirit of God is in the midst of you. I'm talking about the kingdom. It's in the midst of you. But soon will be in you. Why? Because I'm going to give my life. My vessel is going to be broken, and when my vessel is broken, what is in me is going to be released to the world. Now the spirit that filled Christ is the spirit that fills the believer. There is no second work that you have to experience to have the Holy Spirit. Some will teach you, well, you know, receiving the Holy Spirit is completely different than salvation, not according to Scripture. Now, I do believe that there is a, a new level that when we really start pursuing the Holy Spirit in our life, that we start experiencing things on a new level. I believe that with my whole heart. I believe in the infilling of the Holy Spirit being a normal thing. I mean, you see that after, after Acts 2 when the Spirit of God is poured out upon the New Testament church. There's con they're continually being filled with the Spirit. So I believe there are continual fillings of the Spirit. But you receive the Holy Spirit at the moment you say yes to Jesus Christ. And I know people are going to disagree with me on that. But I'm giving you the truth. And I'm going to challenge you. Go back to Scripture. Go back to Scripture. I've heard people say, you, you're, not, you're not really saved unless someone hears you speak in tongues. I've heard people say that. There's, there's a lady who's been in ministry her whole life that was crying one night because she never heard her grandfather speak in tongues and she was fearful that he was going to spend eternity in hell. The Bible never says, read it, read it. I mean, just take time to read it. <laughs> what it does say is, if you believe and you confess, you'll be saved. There's not a, if you believe and you confess and you speak in tongues and you don't have tattoos and you never drink a beer and you never smoke a cigarette, all these things we start just adding into the Bible and saying, well, that's, that's God, man. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. That's your tradition, and you like it, and that's your idol. Welcome to Idolatry 101. You are worshiping religion and not Jesus Christ. Don't come at me, bro. I'm going to close with this scripture. John 16, 7. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples before he's about to be crucified. This is like his farewell address before he's murdered. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. Imagine that. Th these men have been spending time with Jesus. They're seeing our Savior face to face every day. They're eating with him. They're traveling with him. They are friends with him. And Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Why? I mean, I don't know about you, but my mind would automatically go, I'd rather you, have you here with me, bro. Like, so if I accidentally cut someone's ear off, you can put it back on. <laughs> but Jesus says, no, it's actually to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, who is the Holy Spirit, the helper, will not come to you. But if I go, 
I will send him to you. Jesus is the one who sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus, and Jesus releases the Holy Spirit. And the Bible talks about him as a comforter, a friend. wise counselor. My my goal through the series is to get you to desire more of who has been released to you. So many Christians live a nominal life because they haven't taken time to know the God who lives inside of them. We treat God as this far off distant cosmic being or this flannel board figure. That's not the case. He lives inside of you, and he wants to not only work on you, but he wants to work through you. In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how he helps us in a very practical way. Then we're going to talk about the spiritual gifts, which is one of the most controversial subjects in Scripture. But we're going to go to the Bible. We're going to say, what does the Bible say about these gifts, how they work, and who they're for? And I promise you, it's going to open your eyes to some things that you've possibly never considered before. And and as we go through the series, if it challenges you, because you've been brought through so much tradition and religion, if it challenges you, I want to challenge you to lean in and say, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to say to me? What are you wanting to do in me? What does your word say about this? I saw a Facebook advertisement saying that there's a gentleman coming to a church in Georgia. I'll just leave it at Georgia because I don't want, I'm not into bad mouthing anyone, okay? But he's coming to a church in Georgia and his, his topic is the danger of the charismatic church. And I thought, it is dangerous. Charismatic church is super dangerous because they have received power to shake the gates of hell. You want to know the danger of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Becoming an effective Christian because you become an effective witness. If you feel like you're dried up, it's because you need an encounter with the Spirit of God who is released to you from Jesus Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not going to have you stand. I'm not going to have you move. But just where you are, if, if you in this moment would say, you know what? I know that I've been a little bit dry and I want to experience more of the God who lives inside of me. I just want you to take your hand and lay it over your heart. And we're going to pray together. Again, maybe, maybe you are fully aware of who the Holy Spirit is. Maybe, maybe you've seen him work in your life, but today you just want a new filling of the Holy Spirit. This moment is for you. Jesus, your word says that if we ask, we receive. Your word says that you give good gifts. And one of the good gifts that you have given is your spirit. So right now, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would fill every heart and every life with your spirit. Lord, we ask that you would begin to do a new thing. Father, we ask that you would begin to touch the dried up places in our life. 
we ask that a river of living water would start to spring up and flow from us. Some of you in here, you've been so dry in your life. So dry, so parched, so thirsty. Today is the day for the Spirit of God to flood your heart and your life, to touch those dry places. To touch your heart, to touch your mind. Some of you have not experienced joy in years. And today we pray, Holy Spirit, that they would experience your joy. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness because of the work the Holy Spirit does in our life. Joy because of what he releases in our life. Peace because of what he gives to us and brings to us in our life. Every good gift comes from you, God. So right now, Lord, I'm asking that you would touch every heart and life. If anyone is troubled in their mind, if they're filled with worry or anxiety, Lord, we ask that it would be broken and we ask that it would be released right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Lord, you are the one who knows all. You fill all. You see all. Father, for those that need wisdom, I'm asking that you would give them wisdom today. For those that need understanding, we ask that you would give understanding. For those that need strength, God, we ask that you would give strength. We honor you today, oh God. We worship you today, oh God. We celebrate you today, oh God. And we thank you for touching us today.